0: everyone. I'm Paul Botts, the CEO and founder of Good Leadership Enterprises. And I'm Sue Mulkern, human capital
1: at Optum. And this is the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast.
0: We're recording this in the Aspiration Suite of the Good Leadership offices in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where we coach leaders on how to transform their businesses with goodness. Paul, will you tell our listeners, what do you mean by goodness? Sure goodness. It's not a word we hear very often in leadership or business. So we define goodness as when people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. I'm really glad you asked that because that's the framework for how we approach all of our work as coaches. So now let me ask you, Sue, um, how are you feeling about your first podcast experience?
1: (laughs) You're right, Paul. This is my first podcast. And maybe it's a little bit of nerves, but I think more than that, I'm excited because today we are featuring the appearance of Monty Knuckles from the good leadership breakfast that happened just this morning. It's a monthly leadership development event that Paul started in 2009. And as you remember, Paul, I was involved way back then in uh, 2009, and it's really fun to see how it's grown. And today was really a good breakfast.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. Yes, the very first keynote experience that I had when I talked about this concept called the 7Fs, Sue was actually in the audience and she was on a corporate panel. So before we go any farther, let me just say what the 7Fs are it's a framework that we help leaders use to make sure that their lives are full and fulfilling. And the seven F's in alphabetical order are faith, family, finances, fitness, friends, fun, and future. And our speaker today was really enthralled with that concept. And it was one of the central concepts that he brought about in his talk.
1: I agree, Paul. You know, it was really fun to hear Monty refer to the seven F's so frequently. And one of the things that really struck me in my first impression was how he uses the seven F's to manage stress and change Mm -hmm. in times of challenge Mm -hmm. in his life. And he gave a few examples inclusive of after a personal recovery Mm -hmm. after heart surgery, he turned to the seven F's to set goals and think about what life was going to be like for him in the future. And he also talks about seven F's in terms of tumultuous business times Mm -hmm. and how it helped to advance his team and his outcomes.
0: Yeah. So, so much of leadership is role modeling. And the way Monty grabbed onto this concept and decided to bring him whole his whole self into work and live in ways that are aligned with 7Fs in front of all these people during dynamic IT projects, it really helped him be a good leader. And that's what this whole thing is about.
1: I agree. And he even talked about how his team met their deadlines uh, because of some of the work that he did with the 7Fs. For your first-time listeners, the strategy for this episode is what we call Monday Morning Quarterback. In other words, we will play some of the highlights of Monty's talk this morning and share our observations and even criticisms based on our experience developing leaders.
0: Well, let's jump right to the very beginning of his appearance. Um, I, I introduced Monty as the global IT executive for Adiant. Adiant is the world's largest manufacturer of seating components that work in automobiles. So he had a perspective on global business, a global a perspective on global technology, and also a perspective on where you know automobiles are going to go in our society. So let's just cut right to the beginning.
2: It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, over the next 18 minutes, I want to give you insight, as Paul mentioned, to my 7F's journey over a 25 period where I went through two major career changes and um, and a personal crisis that I went through and then I hope to also leave you with some tools and ideas around the soft side of leadership uh, what I've learned and practicing with uh, the help of good leadership so anyway so I'd like to go back where Paul was just talking starting in in December 2013 um, we were starting this large project in fact the, the scope and scale of the project was larger than many small companies and um, so our, my boss at the time pulled us together and, and introduced us to Paul and good leadership. And we were at this retreat, a very nice location, good place. And, and uh, so everybody was, was you know being positive and happy to be there. And uh, so as we got started, the first thing Paul did was he led us through a visioning workshop, where in a visioning workshop, we looked seven years back and seven years forward. The seven years back was, was not a big issue. That was easy. The seven years forward was a bit of a challenge because I had to think to myself, okay, I'm 56 years old plus seven, 63. Oh, I always had this goal of retiring early. I just had never talked about it before with anybody, and I wasn't sure I wanted to talk about it within the, you know, my peers and my new boss and that sort of thing. So I was a little bit nervous about it. And fortunately, Paul started with the person sitting next to me and went around <laughs> the table. So I had, a, had some time to think about it. And when, uh, when it got back to me, I just kind of looked down and, and said, nothing. Uh, I really planned to do nothing after this. And, and uh, so it was the first time in my life I ever had to face the end of my career. And, uh, and I was feeling a little awkward about it. And, um, and so we went from there into the first time I've ever done the 7F. So we went into the 7F part of the workshop. And I could see doing it for the first time after I just had a little bit of a, uh, you know, uh, epiphany about where I was in my life. Um, I could set my goals. I could go around each F and set goals to help me navigate through change. So that's what I did. And, um, and then as we ended the retreat um, as, as a leadership team, we all talked about our seven Fs with each other, and then we committed with each other. When we got back to the office, we'd continue to talk about them, and we did. Uh, we helped uh, help each other through the discussions of 7Fs to, to help us through the stress of the big project. We talked about them in terms of, of staying connected with our families during the, during the project. And we also used them and talked with our teams to um, help them also, uh, you know, drive balance within their lives and their career.
1: You know, Paul, what really struck me was how vulnerable that Monty um, was willing to be and talking about how he paused and said, I'm doing nothing. And yet, also, I liked how he, at that time of change in his life, pulled on the 7Fs to say, how do I set goals? Even though my career is coming to what seems to be a close for this chapter, I'm going to turn to the 7Fs to set goals for what's next in my life. I also appreciate how he really talked about how he used the 7Fs for the personal development with his team. So it's both the personal and the business application that really stuck with me.
0: Yeah, there's several things going on here that I kind of want to fill in. So first of all, there are these people who are very inspiring leaders who don't necessarily think of a chance to give a speech as one of those times when they shine. And that really describes Monty. He's a very understated guy. First, we were at Miraval, which is the coolest resort place I've ever been in my entire life. It's in Tucson, Arizona. Oprah does her girls' retreats there. Warren Buffett does his holiday party there with his family. I mean, and he said, yeah, we were at this nice place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so that to understand that is to understand who Monty Knuckles is. In addition to that, you know, when he says we, do, we have done the seven 7S, what he means is— The 7F's wheel is the tool that we use, and for your listening audience here, if you want the 7F's wheel, you can go to goodleadership.com. It's there. It's free, or send me an email at paul at goodleadership. This has been done by hundreds of thousands of leaders over the last 10 years. It's an evaluation where you evaluate each of these seven concepts on a 1 to 10 scale. Ten being, I'm fully satisfied. One being, I'm not very satisfied. And it was the evaluation on the 7Fs that was so eye-opening for all those leaders. So I think um, he has so much more to say. I think we should just jump right ahead back into the speech.
2: So everything was going fine. Uh, we were up and running on the project, and um, we were in the 2014 and uh, in July of 2014, I had just returned home from a worldwide trip, uh, you know, kicking off the project and meetings and workshops and so on. And uh, it was July 2nd, I woke up with this horrible pain in my chest. And um, so I had suffered a STEMI, for those of you who are in the medical field, and a 100% blocked artery for the rest of us. And we had, I was very, very fortunate to be home uh, because I live five minutes from the hospital, so I was able to get to the hospital about four o'clock in the morning. And on top of that, the cardiologist who opened the artery was already there. He was in the cath lab, and, and uh, so they got me in there and got the artery open. And I was very very lucky. I suffered no heart damage as a result of as a result of the um, the heart attack. However, they found additional blockages, and so 30 days later, I went through open heart surgery, and and that's where the real fun started. So. Um, I got home, the first morning I was home, um, I, I, you know, I just I shuffled into the, the kitchen to make coffee and, and um, as I was going in I noticed on the bookshelf the Good Leadership binder from the retreat the prior December. And so I got the binder out and I looked at it, I was looking through it and I got to the seven F's and I got to the goals that I had laid out for myself and I was looking at them I thought, well, these don't look anymore. Um, In fact, it looks like it was just being pulled into a black hole uh, Sort of like the one we saw in the the news a couple days ago There was a few little shiny edges around the outside of it, but the the center of it was going right down the hole so that day um, I started setting new goals and um, And I went around the wheel and and you know my my fund score certainly was down I wasn't quite sure about my future and uh, but I set goals and and for myself and was working my way out and since then I can tell you that I've kept those, I kept the seven F's in, uh, visible uh, with me, in front of me, and I've used them through every single change that I've gone through. And uh, so I'd encourage you to take them home. Just don't leave them here on the table, but go home and, and continue to work with them, share them with, your, with your, the key people in your lives and continue to work with them.
0: Okay, so there he goes again, understated. Have you ever talked, heard anyone talk about what ended up as a, s- a significant heart surgery <laughs> that threatened not only his career, but his life in such an understated way?
1: I have not. And what I really thought about was how he turned to the 7 Fs during that challenging crisis in his life, and how that is what brought him comfort um, to think about what's next in his future.
0: And not only that, but the, the future the future is the 7th F. And he understood that in order to be effective at work, he had to be bright and happy and optimistic and a 9 or a 10 on future. And so when he said it was a dark hole, he was thinking, I have all these people back at the office, this huge project they were doing. I'm their leader. I'm not there. They're worrying about me. And it just created this really interesting, what I consider to be a very sincere, authentic moment for him as a leader. And he realized, geez, I have to take care of myself and change a lot of things in my life in order to get back to the office and be the leader that everyone needs me to be. And uh, that's, I think, what the point of the whole seven F's exercise is.
1: Yeah, it was clear how authentic he is. And again, how he continually brings the seven F's in personally, as well as professionally.
0: Well, let's listen a little bit more to
2: this challenge that they took on. So then everything was good. Uh, I get back to the office in the fall after recovering and and everything was good. And, um, and you know, the clock's running on the project. We finish a major phase that next summer and everything is good. And then, our CEO announced the spinoff of the um, automotive business. So um, I worked for Johnson Controls at the time. Uh, this automotive company was half the size of the company. Uh, it was $20 of our $40 billion business. So it made no sense to continue with the project. So um, I was asked to support uh, shutting the project down. and. Um, as we shut the project down, um, they also asked me to lead, be the IT leader for the separation project, um, the automotive separation project, which was which was quite exciting. I, I had never, you know, I, I had done some merger and acquisition and some investor work, but never anything on the size and scale of this. And and I think, as I become to, to uh, know after we started the project, this was the 10th largest um, spinoff that had ever been done in terms of the business world. So. Anyway, so to give you an idea, we had on on an information technology um, organization, we had about 1,500 servers around the world that we had to test to migrate to the new company. We had 250 locations around the world that we had to split the networks for and fully test. We had, the hardest part was over 300 corporate applications that we had to separate. And and so the new company, Adiant, could take applications with them as we, um, left Johns Controls. So, um, and then we had, uh, when we started the project, I think within the first three months, we had to onboard over 800 people. Uh, the project was to take no more than 12 months, um, and uh, so that was our timeline. And the, you know, the, the issue about doing the separation work is when the dates are communicated, dates and costs are communicated externally, the dates are non-negotiable. And so we started the project, and and I had a new leadership team that had never worked together before and and doing a project we had never done before. Uh, So to ensure that we were getting off to a good start, I I took a a lesson from uh, my mentor and boss uh, from our first project, the big IT uh, systems project, and I engaged with Paul in good leadership and um, went through the same process with with the workshops and so on.
0: Okay, so so Sue, I have an organization with four and a half people. We manage 12 contractors. When I hear 10th largest separation project in the world, 1500 servers, 250 locations, 300 corporate apps, and adding 800 people, it, it just blows my mind. I mean, you work at Inside United Health, which is a monstrous organization. How did you react to what he talked about of the scope and size and speed of that project?
1: Yeah, the scope and the size, I probably didn't react to as much because that's kind of my norm. But what I heard and really kind of hit a nerve with me is... He's talking about the industry in a crisis mode, the industry is strained, and in healthcare I can relate to the tumultuous times that we have in the industry. He talks about the impact to his team and to the employees, the likelihood of employee downsizings or people losing their job and the pressure that goes with all of this crisis that he's experiencing, and yet during this time of change, he turns to goodness, and he turns to the seven Fs, and he turns to how to be transparent as a leader. And I really think that that was one of the, the important things that I took away from his talk.
0: Yeah. And so as one of the coaches on this assignment, for him, being nice was not part of the challenge. It was actually being clear. Because unclear is unkind, especially when you're moving as fast as they're moving. And in the early stages, he really had a hard time saying, uh, it has to be done by midnight if it's not done by midnight today, we're all in big trouble. And there were other people on his team that stepped up and kind of got more assertive than he did. And he, um, he tells a little bit of that story um, later on in the, in the talk. But for him, goodness actually meant he had to be tougher. And that's sort of a counterintuitive idea. But when he got tougher, everything went better on the project.
1: Well, and he talks about, too, the other thing that struck me as an HR person, we're always thinking about employee engagement. And he said that he expected his employee engagement scores to tank because of the amount of change that they're going through. And yet what he saw by being transparent, by telling the truth and being positive, he actually saw those engagement scores
0: higher than ever. That's a good lesson for all of us. Let's cut to some of the tension in this.
2: Uh, As we got into the the height of the project, uh, we had... um, I mean, there are a number of times that we could use the output where I changed my own, my own uh, way I was managing the team. There are things that I could see uh, and things that I couldn't see. And I'll give you an example of one that I couldn't see. So we were doing another workshop. I think about once a month, I brought the team together. And uh, we just went sort of off, off-site, uh, away from the big project, and, and just evaluated ourselves and how well we were running the program. And uh, so anyway, so we were in this workshop. And we were, um, you know, you know, talking, and I could feel there was some tension in the room. And uh, we were in talking, and and then finally, we we, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, broke the ice a little bit. And uh, one of the the team told me that they were not happy with the way I was managing, or that I needed to change the, my approach to management. So what was going on was, given the size of the project, we were. We were asked pretty much daily to provide status reports, to provide uh, KPIs on the program to ensure that we had uh, we were on time. We we're going to make it. There was a lot of concern uh, around IT. So, as uh, traditionally, from for those of you who work and with uh, your IT organizations who are in IT, we don't always have the best track record of of completing projects on time and on budget. So, there was a lot of concern. So, we we're daily bombarded by requests to give status and. And so what was happening that was impacting um, the, the leaders t- leadership team's ability to execute the program. So they did uh, nothing less than what I would consider an intervention on me, saying, hey, Monty, come on, I mean, we really need to stop all this, and you need to manage upward and let us run the project. So um, I don't think without the uh, the work we had done uh, with our, our 7F wheels and, and our, our momentum analysis and the Hogan uh, study and Hogan analysis, that we would have had the culture and the forum to have those kind of open discussions. So, uh, we came out of the project, uh, we ran um, flawlessly, and we uh, completed the project on time, uh, and, and, and we gave, in fact, we were uh, tens of millions of dollars under budget. So, um, the companies separated in November 2016 uh, with zero operational issues.
0: Okay, let me fill in some gaps. He was referred to the Momentum Analysis and Hogan's and 7 F's. These are tools that we helped them use in order to have more honest, healthy tension conversations. And I just want to point out that where he what he said at the end was they were the only work stream out of seven to finish on time, and they gave back tens of millions of dollars against their budget, which is just unheard of.
1: Well, especially for IT, as you know. We, it's almost a joke that we often talk about they don't finish on time or on budget. And he really said that they both
0: delivered on time and under budget. And what they, what he did not say is that four months before the project ended, the CFO stood up in front of the board and gave IT a vote of no confidence. And that was the moment that created that when he understated again, says the team was not happy with me. It was actually more of an intervention slash insurrection. And they all kind of got in each other's faces and divvied up their assignments differently because they didn't, Love the idea that the CFO gave him a vote of no confidence, and turns out they were the only work stream that actually succeeded. It's pretty amazing, isn't it?
1: It's amazing, and it makes me certainly wonder his leader ship skills that really turned that team around, and at a time when he needed to be vulnerable. I can't imagine your team saying, we're gonna do an intervention on you. Uh, and it was a bold move for him to, to turn around and take that
0: feedback. Absolutely.
2: Being in automotive right now, uh, so I, when I spun, I went with the automotive company, I can tell you that the, the pace of change is is tremendous. Uh, it's it's like nothing I've ever seen before, in, in the work that I do and the travels that I that I have uh, been on, and um, the automotive industry itself is going through a major change. and It's at a major inflection point. We had uh, you know with autonomous vehicles, electrification, and um, a lot of the OEMs right now are in process of of changing you know, their strategies around the traditional cars and trucks that we drive to the newer cars. Uh, from an IT perspective, uh, information technology perspective, we have things you know, like the Internet of Things, everything's connected, smart devices, digitalization, sensors on everything, and uh, we, artificial intelligence. So right now we're all trying to figure out how to really embrace these technologies, and, and many of these technologies will drive the uh, changes in our business models, and uh, so so, uh, and the risks are very high, uh, and the, the demand to deliver is uh, ever increasing. So, again, that's that's part of what how I use the seven my seven F's journey is to really manage that kind of um, um, you know stress and and change in my day to day life.
0: Here, Monty it describes how the 7Fs became a centering technique for him. There are lots of centering techniques out there. Some people use yoga. Some people use meditation. But the idea of thinking about his life holistically helped him deal with that immense amount of stress. How did you react to when he was talking? He kept bringing 7Fs up over and over and over again. What was your thought?
1: He did. And one of the words I jotted down when I was listening to him was the word blend. Because earlier in his talk, he talks about the importance of blending the 7Fs and making sure that they're all a priority. I thought that was a really key point for him. Yeah, and so
0: probably the technical definition of blending is that when you find ways to find satisfaction on as many of the 7Fs as possible at any moment in time, whether that's at work or at home, the opposite of blending would be to think of each of the 7Fs as a file cabinet that you have to keep full. I think Monty, he's probably one of the best examples I know of of that blending concept. Well, and it makes it less
1: compartmentalized. And less of a to-do list, I've only gotten five out of the seven, but instead blending to make life more fulfilling.
0: So part of the format of the Good Leadership Breakfast is after the leader's formal talk and formal remarks, um, I do an interview where we sit down on bar stools. And what's kind of fun about this is about five or six years ago, you were a speaker at the Good Leadership Breakfast, Sue Mulker. That was pretty fun. So it must have been a little bit of an out-of-body experience for bit. you to be a part of this whole thing. So um, there were two specific questions I asked Monty in the interview that I think we should play here. So let's start with how this interview section opened. Monty, I, I, I admire people that can make IT and information technology in general look and sound exciting. Yeah. yeah, so would you tell us, please, what we should be excited about in terms of how IT is really shaping automotive? I mean, okay. automotive is one thing we all have in common. Who didn't come here in a car?
2: Right? So tell us. What, help us see what's happening. Okay, great. Um, two examples. So uh, I was just in a meeting earlier this week talking about this. So um, one of our – so we, we supply manufacturer seats uh, for every OEM or uh, car manufacturer in, in, in the world, worldwide. Um, so one of the things we talk about a lot is autonomous vehicles so, and, the, and the movement of autonomous vehicles. So uh, that requires a lot of technology. In fact, um, the city of San Francisco, so this is in the, in the public domain, um, will be uh, uh, implementing autonomous taxis in 2020. And uh, so if you think about the autonomous vehicle, and, and so you'll be you know, calling your cab from your phone, the taxi shows up. So you wanna make sure that when the taxi shows up, the company that owns the, the, which is city of San Francisco, uh, taxi shows up that's clean, right? I mean, just simple. You don't want the seat, you know, trashed or food spilled on the seat. So when I said sensors on everything, literally there has to be sensors on everything. So you don't want the seat wet. You don't want somebody who would, uh, you know, rip the seats up or whatever. So that's one. The other thing uh, with autonomous vehicles and the connected car, cars talking uh, to other cars, so um, another uh, OEM who's really into safety uh, is um, has a vision, you know, that nobody will die in their car. Uh, we did, and so that's that's happening, and where the cars will be talking to each other. And I think the last thing that's kind of exciting is that uh, for those of you who are starting families or have young kids right now, there is a very high probability that your your child will never learn to drive on the roads. Uh, so by by 2030. Um, will be fully autonomous unless they want to drive an ATV in the backwoods of, of, of Minnesota or something like that but but it's it's happening now it's happening fast the uh, both Ford and General Motors are are you know shutting plants down and retooling plants to to make autonomous vehicles and it's pretty exciting
0: well I'm one of those guys that just really can hardly figure out how my phone works so when he's talking about the Seat in the autonomous vehicle being part of the brains of the car. It it, it is fascinating to me. And I just felt sitting next to him how fortunate I was to know somebody that smart.
1: Or even that cars will be self driving by 2020. I mean, it's just hard to imagine.
0: Yeah. And even in the Jetsons, they were driving the flying car. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I don't know. The whole audience was pretty moved by that segment there. I agree. Well, as we wrap up this part of the podcast, let's jump to the question that I ask consistently at the end of the interview. Um, the last question we ask traditionally here is um, it's designed to help us encourage other people through proof statements that goodness pays. Can you remember a specific moment looking back on your career yeah. when you just know for sure goodness pays?
2: Yeah, so I'd have to point back to some of the harder times. So when we were in the recession in 2009, um, if uh, if you can remember back, the automotive industry was in a major crisis. I mean, General Motors had, had filed bankruptcy. and. Uh, president Obama has, had bailed out General Motors, and and um, so it was really, really bad. I mean, we were, I don't think a lot of people realize that we were very, very close to losing the entire automotive industry. I mean, there are, we have, uh, at any given time in automotive, there's $50 billion flowing through the supply chain in any given minute. And um, so we were in a major crisis, uh, companies were filing bankruptcy, and, and um, so the president of the comp- our automotive business at the time uh, we were going through tens of thousands of people were losing their job to keep the company from, from filing bankruptcy. And um, and he was extremely transparent. Um, if you look at the definition of goodness pays, I mean, in terms of uh, even in that kind of environment, there was a lot of encouragement. And uh, so he was giving encouragement to people, explaining the process we're going through and why we were doing it. And I remember right after we went through all of that and we were coming out of 2000. Uh, later that year, 2009, we did our, our employee survey, and we had talked about as an executive team not doing it because we didn't want to see what the scores were going to be. But as a result of, of practicing uh, the goodness concepts, um, our, our engagement, employee engagement scores were the highest they'd ever been, and our leadership uh, scores were the highest they'd ever been, even in that kind of uh, tough time.
0: Sue You work in human capital in a very large organization. How did you react to that scenario and his proof statement that goodness pays?
1: I definitely could relate to it. Again, I think in times of downsizing, business challenges, it's times that we expect the employees to be the least engaged. And instead, through his actions as a leader, He actually found that the employees were highly engaged, and the survey really reinforced that their actions paid off.
0: Uh, He and I debate whether encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork are soft skills or hard skills for leadership, and it kind of doesn't really matter. What we've learned is that people who are good at those things uh, have a more intense following. People are more loyal in both good times and in bad, and not only that, but most importantly, they get better business results.
1: And that's measurable.
0: Yeah, we, we call it goodness here. And it's something that we think that we could talk about, you know, forever. So as we transition now to the end of our podcast, um, I'm, we, I'm curious to find out what actionable insight, what, what is the carpe diem moment for you that you learned something here that you're going to take and use in your leadership back at the office this afternoon?
1: My actionable insight was to use the seven Fs to set goals and navigate through change.
0: Yeah, and my actionable insight's is a little bit different than that because I know the 7F so well and we use it with all of our clients and it's something that we live and breathe here all the time. I'm going to, I'm going to emphasize the concepts of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. I think it's easier to do that if you have a fulfilling life on the seven Fs. But those are things that even in my own job as a leader here, owning good leadership enterprises, I think there are days when I get stressed, I don't really think much about encouragement. I probably only think about accountability in terms of myself, and I don't really think about positivity very much. So when I watch Monty, this understated, You know, world-class IT executive, really bring those concepts to life, it was uh, reassuring and inspiring to me. It sure was. So, what's the most important thing we want people to remember from this podcast, Sue? Well, of course, Paul, it's goodness pays. And I think we have that from Monty as well. Goodness pays. And yes, I'll say it again, goodness pays. Thank you for investing the time in the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast, whether you listen while you're exercising, driving, or even on an airplane. We appreciate you making the space in your life to learn more about how goodness pays. And I just want to remind you that the world really needs us to be good leaders who radiate goodness today. Our next podcast is featuring Bill McCoy from United Health Group. Isn't he one of your colleagues?
1: He sure is. He's one of my colleagues at United Health Group, and he's going
0: to be terrific. So thanks for letting me be a part of this podcast. Yes, you're very welcome. Seize the day. Have a great day.